Well, what's up, church? We are glad that you're here for one of our services for our Easter weekend. Um, have you guys enjoyed the service so far? Okay, we got some, man, we got some talented, we got some talented people here at Grace, that's for sure. Well, back in the day, when I was a freshman in high school, I used to wear glasses. And one day at school, this happened on a Friday, I, I remember it, I, uh, I broke those glasses, and, which was a problem. Because for me, if I'm not wearing contacts or glasses or anything, like, I am blind as a bat, okay? So, little known fact, um, I can't see anything, everything's just so blurry, and I, you know, I'm just kind of like, like, I'm kind of useless, I can't read, I can't do anything at school. That's not what I was worried about, though, at school. What I was worried about was later on that day, I was supposed to go to a camp with all my friends up in Michigan, and uh, where I was supposed to be for the entire weekend. And so what I'm worried about as freshman Zach is like, okay, this is a problem. Like, how am I supposed to flirt with all the girls if I can't tell if the girl that I'm flirting with is good looking or not? You know, like, like that's what I'm worried about. And so I'm trying to figure this out. I go home and my mom takes me to, she's trying to figure this out. She takes me to the optometrist, so the eye doctor. And, uh, and I have to go through, I have to have like, uh, like go through the whole regimen. You guys been there before? All right. Like, I hate going to the eye doctor. It's not like it hurts like like the dentist can hurt, okay? It's just kind of humiliating. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody with me? Okay, you gotta go in, you sit your chin on that thing that everybody else sits their chin on, and then they stick the, the, I don't know what it is, like a little thing in your eye, and then they shoot air into it. You guys have had that done before? Am I the only one? I'm the only, okay, thank you. I was about to say, am I the only one that they've done that? Um, And so they stick that in. Every time for me, you know, I'm just like, I'm a man, I'm grown up, especially now. I haven't been to the doctor for a long time. But, you know, next time I go, it's like, you know, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I got to I gotta hold steady, you know. And I don't know when it's coming, but you know it's coming. And then they shoot the air, and you're like, whoa, you know, you flinch. And I don't know what they're doing with that whole thing. They're, like, checking for eye diseases or something. I don't know what air does for that. But, um, but you go through that. Then they take you into the, to the, you know, to the um, room, and you sit on the chair, and they, you're looking through this, like, thing that they bring up to your head. And you get one of these charts. You've seen one of these charts before up on the screen? We got, we got it? Huh? Huh? There we go. Okay. Um, you see one of these charts, and they say, hey, can you, you know, start reading the lines? And you're like, E, got that line, you know. And, uh, and the, the one thing that the doctor's always doing is my eye doctor's always writing stuff in, like, on paper. I don't know what that's all about, but it's, I'm like, dude, I didn't even say anything. And here you are writing stuff down. What are you writing down? And you can't tell and you don't know. But, um, but you're looking at that, and then they say, okay, well, read the, read the smallest line that you can. And you're looking at it, and you're like, um, okay, we got E, D, E, O, Z. And then you're looking at it, you're like squinting, you're leaning in as hard as you can. Anybody else do this? Because you want to get it right. And then you're like, no, no, can we go back? I think that E might have been an F. Um, and uh, O, Z, it, it's, just, it's just humiliating because the guy knows exactly what, you know, he probably has this memorized and you're getting it all wrong and you don't know what the right answer is necessarily, but you're trying. And then they start like clicking stuff in that, in that instrument in front of you. Is, and they start asking you questions like it's like a test. Is, what's better, one or two? A or B? And you're looking at it and at first it's easy. You're like, oh, that's B. Write that down, doc. I know that one's right. You know, that's B. B's better. But then it starts getting harder, and you're like, okay, one or two. Can I go back and look at one? I think two is better, but I'm not quite sure. Can we redo this whole thing? And it's just, it's just awkward, and it's just kind of embarrassing. And I remember after I go through that whole routine, the doctor, he's like, okay, here's the deal. Your glasses, 
those things ain't ever getting fixed again. You're like, those things are down for the count. And I don't have any glasses that fit your prescription here, but what I do have is contacts. And I'm like, okay, let's try it. Like, it's my only shot. All right, let's do this. And he sits me down, and he's like, okay, this is what you do. You just, like, got to touch your eye. And it, like, sucks right on. It's awesome. And so I'm trying to, and I'm, like, dropping these contacts or anything. I can't figure it out. And I'm, like, blind, you know. So I'm like, where'd that? Oh, here it is. Okay. And I'm trying to put it in my eye. And he's just, you know, I'm sure he's just like, this stupid kid. And so he eventually sits me in the seat, and he's like, I'm just going to do it. And he puts these contacts in my eyes. And I remember looking through, or like, open, you know, looking through the contacts for the first time, and it was like way better than glasses. It was just like, whoa, I could see everything. I could see details. Everything's so, you know, so vivid, so like just crystal clear. It's completely different than what I was used to. And it's funny because my mom, then she sent me off to camp with these contacts in my eyes, and I didn't know what to do with them. And so I couldn't put them back in. I think I finally got them out later that night because I have to go out at night. And to get my contacts in for the rest of that weekend, my friends had to hold me down, pin me to the ground, and they had to rip open my eyelids. And, they, and I had a buddy of mine who wore contacts, and he would shove those things in my eyes. And so that's how I did it for that weekend. By the way, your friendship reaches a whole new level when you're cool with each other, touching each other's eyes, okay? It's just different. But um, what does that have to do with Easter? Nothing, <laughs> okay? But this is what I think. I think there's a lot of us, we come in this room, and we know the story, okay? We've heard the story before. We're like, okay, I know, like, Jesus was a dude, and he came, and he died on a cross, and then he was put in a tomb, and the stones rolled away on Easter morning, like that type of thing. Like, we know some of that stuff. Like, even if you've come here just for Easter and Christmas, it's like, oh, I know that stuff. And, but although I think a lot of us, we romanticize the story, where we picture Jesus as just a soft man who, who was high-fiving children and petting lambs the whole time. But here's the deal. None of us, we're going we're gonna to walk outside these doors after the service and be like calling up our moms and be like, hey, mom, guess what? Dude, I just found out how the story ended. He came back. Like, nobody's doing that. We've all heard this before. But I think a lot of us, the details about the story are still a little blurry to us. We just don't know it. We, we can't see it super clear. And really more important than just the random details is the reason why the story had to happen is blurry to us. And why it matters to us and how it connects to us and how it affects our life. It's that that's blurry for us. And I hope today I'll be able to connect the dots for you and I'll be able to clear some of that up so that you can actually see the story for what it is. And maybe you walked in, in here today and the story's just kind of just kind of blurry to you, but I'm hoping that when you leave, you'll come out, you'll, you'll leave seeing it clearly, maybe for the first time. Um, over the last few months, we've been uh, here at Grace, we've been in the book of John, we've been studying the book of John, which is just an account of this guy who hung out a lot with with Jesus. He was one of Jesus' disciples. And uh, actually, we started this at Christmas. So if you're one of those people that just come for Christmas and Easter, all right, you've actually been part of this series already. You were there at the beginning. We are still in the same series. Um, we are finishing it up. Actually, we'll wrap it up next week. But um, we've walked through the story of Jesus from beginning now to the end. And we've talked about the things that he said. We've talked about the things that he did. And we've read about Jesus making his way back to Jerusalem for the last time. And there's this big festival going on called Passover that scholars say that a million people from around the world would descend upon Jerusalem to really attend this big old 
festival. And so there's hundreds of thousands of extra people there. And, and we've talked about how when the, Jesus, he went to the Passover festival and the, the crowds are celebrating his arrival. I mean, the crowds are just going wild. They're going crazy because they think Jesus is there to fix their problem. They think that Jesus is there to fix their problem politically. And we've looked how Jesus spent that week teaching the crowds and and how uh, we've talked about how on Thursday of that week, there's this Passover meal, kind of one of the main things. And Jesus, he gets his disciples together, and they find this, like, second-story room. They all go up there, and they do this meal. And actually, this is about the time where Judas, one of Jesus' own guys, ends up leaving out into the night to go betray Jesus for some cash. Talked about how Jesus gathers his now 11 guys around for one last lesson and one last talk. And we talked about how afterwards that uh, Jesus, he leads them to this garden that's uh, just right outside the city. It's kind of on the next hill over, and, and Jesus gets down on his face, and he begins to pray to the Father, saying, God, if there is any other way. God, if there's any other way, if there's some plan B that I'm just not aware of, if there's some other plan, if there's some other way that I just don't know about yet, let's do it that way, because this seems like an awful waste of my blood tomorrow. Shortly after that, a bunch of guards and soldiers and really a a crowd led by Judas, they come into the garden, they arrest Jesus, they take him to the Jewish religious leaders who had the sham trial in the middle of the night while everybody's sleeping, and they sentence him to death. We talked about how in the next morning, um, they take Jesus to this Roman governor named Pilate. Pilate's the only one who could actually execute people. And so they take them to Pilate. And Pilate, we've talked about, and the religious leaders, they hate each other. They don't want anything to do with each other. We talked about how Pilate declares Jesus as innocent. He had done nothing wrong. And Pilate knows what's going on. He tries to get out of the situation. He just doesn't want to be around. And he, and he tries several other ways. And really the last thing that he tries is he orders that Jesus, an innocent man, flogged to an inch within his life. And then he brings Jesus and he presents Jesus before the crowd. And he says, here is the man. And when they see Jesus all, you know, just a a bloody mess, the religious leaders, they're not satisfied with that. They want him to die. And they start yelling out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And they have backed Pilate into a corner. Because they start saying, hey, Pilate, you cannot give this man, you cannot let this guy go free. Jesus called himself a king, and you know there is no other king. That's illegal in Rome. You know there's no other king besides Caesar. And so if you let him go free, then you are not a friend of Caesar. And Pilate knows that they got him because if he lets this man go free, and what the religious leaders are implying is that Pilate or that Caesar will find out what Pilate's done. And Pilate knows that he might be on that cross next week. And so that's where we left off last week. In verse 19, or in verse 16, it says, Then Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified, and then they took Jesus away. Now, when the disciples hear this, they are shocked, right? They can't believe what's going on. I mean, they're in shock. They, they can't believe it. They don't understand why this is happening, and they don't understand what's happening. All they know is that this is just very, very, very real, and this is going to be a big, big problem for them. And each one is questioning, okay, I don't understand. Like, I thought Jesus was the Messiah. See, the Messiah was, it just, it's just a word for, for Savior. See, the, the, Jesus had promised 
the Jewish people like 2,000 years before in the Old Testament that he was going to send a Savior that was going to come and save Israel. And so that's why they think Jesus is there for That's They think Jesus is going to overthrow Rome. He's going to put Israel back on the map. It's going to be awesome. He's going to be the king. That's what they're thinking. They can't understand why would God allow his Messiah to die? Like what is going on here? They cannot get around this. In the meantime, Jesus... He's forced to carry part of his own cross up a hill to where he'd be nailed to it. He can't even make it all the way. He collapses under the weight. And the Roman soldiers, they grab some guy from the, random guy from the crowd and make him carry it the rest of the way. And then Pilate orders a sign made. A sign that says, that reads, Jesus, King of the Jews. And it's really one last jab at the religious leaders saying, hey, here's your pathetic king that I am putting to death. And, and Jesus, he wasn't like, like, he wasn't crucified in some backyard or something where nobody could see. No, he, they're crucified in public. And so he, he's crucified right next to kind of the major roads. So Pilate has a sign written in three different languages so that everybody who's there, especially during Passover week, hundreds of thousands of people can read it. And they know that Jesus is the king of the Jews. And they nailed Jesus to that wood. They lifted him up and he hung. The Bible tells us that people that were walking by on the, on the road, on the highway, that they, they were yelling insults at him. And they were saying things like, hey, Jesus, you saved so many people, but you can't even save yourself. Some people were saying, hey, Jesus, um, wh- why don't we just wait? Why doesn't God save you? Why wouldn't, I mean, if you're the Messiah, it seems like God would send an angel. Maybe we'll let's just wait for an angel to come save you. They're saying stuff like this as he's hung for the next six hours, struggling for every breath. And the crowd had gathered to watch these men die, because Jesus wasn't the only one. There are two other guys as well. John was actually in that crowd, the guy who we're reading today. All right, John was one of these guys. He was there watching. We know that Mary, his mom, um, she was there as well. I'm sure Mary woke up that, that morning thinking everything was good, and then someone got word to her. She hears that, no, 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 Jesus, last night they arrested Jesus. They, they sentenced him to death, and now they're going to crucify him this morning. And so she goes... And at one point, Jesus, this is one of the last things that Jesus says, he has, sees John and Mary close by each other, and he yells out to John, he says, John, take care of my mom. And he hangs there. It's in the middle of the day. The Bible says the sky goes dark. John tells us the sky goes dark. There's an earthquake, and he dies. So many people were watching when they see this. All right, by the way, when someone dies and there's like an earthquake and the sky goes dark, that's a little freaky, okay? I'm just saying, like, that means, I don't know, there's something special about that person. And so the soldiers are saying that. They see this and they're like, uh-oh. They're like, surely, they're saying things like, surely this man was God. And the whole crowds, as they watch how Jesus died, they're just like, whoa, something is different. He has to be the Messiah. What have we done? Actually, uh, the Bible tells us they go home beating their chest saying, what have we taken part in today? We have killed this guy. We have killed the Messiah. And normally, we know the bodies of those who crucified, they'd just be thrown into a dump or just burned with the trash. But for a price, really, for a bribe, the Roman you know, soldiers, they had let you have the body. And so two secret followers of Jesus, these guys were religious leaders who tried to convince the other religious leader buddies not to kill Jesus and failed. Um, these guys named Nicodemus and Joseph, they go to Pilate and they ask for Jesus' body. And I'm sure they pay him the bribe. And they quickly embalm him and set him in Joseph's own tomb and set a stone at the entrance just in the nick of time before the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath 
took place, you know, Jewish, the Sabbath's on the Saturday, but that actually starts as sun goes down on Friday night. And so they quickly get this done before the sun goes down and Jesus is dead. Now think about it. Let's just pause in this moment for a second. What do we got? Right? We got a dead Jesus. We got a corrupt religious system. We got a heartless empire. All right, we got a relieved Roman governor who cannot wait to get out of Jerusalem and get past all this. We got a a group of just really sad Jesus followers who have no Messiah and have no hope. See, that's what happened. When Jesus died, hope died with them because this is not what they pictured. This is not the picture that Jesus painted. Uh, How many of you guys, have you ever like bought something or maybe bought into something where you thought it was one thing, but then once you like discover a little bit more about it or you open it up maybe even, you're like, ah, this isn't what I thought it was. You know what I'm talking about? It's a very general thing. Like for me, my boys, uh, they love Legos. Okay, they're all about Legos. They got a bunch of Legos. They play with the Legos a lot. And so when we go to like Walmart, they, uh, they want to go check out the Lego section. By the way, Walmart, man, they got like an aisle of just Legos. I mean, it's crazy. And so they want to go and look at it. And they're looking at all the pictures, okay, because Lego. you know, know what they're doing. They got big old pictures, lots of colors. And they're looking at it. They're like, oh, I want that. And I want, what is this, a Viking ship, that's sweet, I want one of those, I want one of those. And they're all about the picture. That's how they pick out which Legos they want. See, Jesus, similarly, he painted a picture of what his, of what this, his whole plan was. <laughs> he painted a picture of what, um, of what, of, of the plan. He painted, he painted the picture. He was talking about his kingdom and how awesome it was going to be. You know, he was all into it. It just looks so good, just like a box of Legos from the outside looks so good. I mean, think about it. Think about this. Just, you know, just days before, there's huge crowds in Jerusalem. They're celebrating Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem. I mean, they're like, oh, man, this is going to be awesome. Like, he's going to end the injustice. He's going to bring priests on earth. He's going to overthrow, overthrow the foreign oppressive Roman government. And for a while, it looked like Jesus could do all that. I mean, Jesus is doing, like, impossible stuff. He's doing miracles. He's healing people. He fed thousands of people at once. He stood up to the corrupt religious leaders. And, I mean, just a couple of weeks before, you know what he did? He brought a dead man back to life, okay? That's not something that your average Joe could do. I mean, this is somebody special. And the disciples, they look at that, and they're like, man, we are, we are winning here. The crowds are just going crazy. All these people are following Jesus. And they're like, we are winning. This is what it looks like to win. And then in less than 24 hours, Jesus is arrested, he's tried, he's crucified, and now he's dead. Unexpectedly, it's over. The entire story is over. See, Jesus painted this picture. He was always talking about his kingdom, and he was always talking about how great it was going to be. But for the first time, the disciples, they're looking, they've always had this picture in their minds, but for the first time, their disciples, they're opening and they're looking inside the box. And what they find is not what, they, what, not what the picture looked like, right? What they find is it's just a bunch of pieces and parts. And they don't know how this all goes together. They have no idea. And they're asking themselves, they're like, okay, you know, this isn't what Jesus, this isn't what it looked like. This isn't how he described it. How is this all supposed to go together? And a day goes by. It says, on the first day of the week, John tells us, all right, by the way, that's Sunday. Okay, this is Easter Sunday. 
It says, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Now, why did she go? Uh, she was actually not the only person there. Uh, there was actually a group of ladies that went as well. And apparently the women didn't think that the men did a good enough job embalming Jesus, okay, like doing the job. They didn't feel like they did a good enough job cleaning up. Does that sound familiar to any of you ladies out there? So they're there to fix their mistakes. That's what they're there for. And so she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. Now, why, why was the stone removed? Was that for them? Or was that for, was that for Jesus? No. Right, it's not like Jesus was doing all this stuff, walked on water, fed a bunch of people, raised a dead man up you know, from, you know, from the grave. And uh, it's not like he you know, raises himself and then he's like in the tomb going, oh, man, I didn't think about, how to, I didn't think about this. You know, no, the, the, the stone's not rolled away so Jesus could get out. The stone is rolled away so that they could see in. It was rolled away for our benefit, not his benefit. And so they looked in, and they're like, he's not there. Jesus is gone. And so she went running to Peter and to the other disciple. By the way, the other disciple is John. Uh, John's the one who's writing this book. John was one of Jesus' um, top guys, and John wants to remind you that he is the one that Jesus actually loved, okay? So Jesus, my, John's the one who writes it, so he can say whatever he wants, but um, all the other disciples, maybe Jesus liked, John he loved, that's for sure. So anyway, he said to them, he said, hey, uh, they've, she says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. Now, notice what she doesn't say here. She does not say, guys, guess what? I was at the tomb, it was awesome, um, it's Easter Sunday, he is raised from the dead, just like he said it was going to be, where are you guys at? It's a miracle. No, that's not what she says. She is in a panic. She's like, they've taken him. Somebody literally stole Jesus out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. And so at that, Peter and the other disciple, they went out heading for the tomb, there's John, and the two are running together. I don't know why John writes this. He just, again, he throws in these little things. He just wants us to know that John and Peter were running together, but John outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Okay, so good for John. He's in his 20s here, so, yeah, that's what we do. We race. Okay, so um, I say we like I'm in my 20s still, so, but I'm not sad. Anyway, stooping down, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Why didn't he go in? Because it's creepy, man. It's a tomb, all right? It's not something that you, like, waltz right into. And so he just looks in, and then following him comes Peter, all huffing and puffing behind him. And Peter, he just runs right into the tomb because that's, that's his personality. And so he entered the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth just lying there. And the wrapping that had been on his head was actually not lying with the other linen cloths, but was actually folded up in a separate place all by itself. Jesus must have been nice, neat, and tidy when he left. And so the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, he just wants to remind you all, um, then also went in and saw, and this is when they believed. See, before the resurrection, there was no church. There were no believers, there were no Christians, there was no hope. It wasn't until after the resurrection that people truly believed. And so naturally, John and Peter are shocked. They can't believe it. They're like, oh man, remember what Jesus said? Oh yeah, he said that, he said this, he said it was going to do this. Man, did it actually happen? And so they run back to tell the others. But Mary, Mary hangs around. This is but Mary, she stood outside the tomb crying. And as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb just in case, I don't know, they hid Jesus' body in some corner or something in there, I don't know. She looks in one last time and she saw two angels in white. They were sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, they say, woman, why are you crying? And I was just thinking about this week, 
I'm like, I wonder if, like, what's the angel's perspective in this? Like, I don't know if they're, like, doing their thing in heaven, and God's like, hey, by the way, big weekend, you know, Easter weekend, first one, um, you know, we're going to defeat death, it's going to be awesome, and they're, like, looking out, and he's like, hey, I need two people to go, like, hang out in the tomb for a while, can someone go do that? And two angels are like, oh, we'll go, and he's like, okay, you guys, you two, and so they go, and they're like, man, this is going to be awesome, we're going to show up in the tomb, there's going to be all these people, and we get to be, like, the first ones to announce to everybody that, hey, Jesus, he rose just like he said, he's defeated death, all this stuff, like, you guys can be saved, and all this stuff, and they get there, and it's like, where is everybody, you know? Like, Jesus told them, right? Yeah, I heard yeah, Jesus. He, he told them, they're like, what is going on here? Like, 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 I wonder if that's what they want to ask Mary. Like, what are you doing? Why? Why are you crying? This doesn't make any sense. Where's the boys? You know, where's, there should be 12 of them here. And then the other one's like, no, there's only 11 now. He's like, oh, yeah. Where's the 11? You know, where, where are they? What's going on? Where is everybody? He told you this was going to happen. How did you miss this? And she answers them, and she says, I'm crying because they've taken away my Lord. I mean, here, she still doesn't believe, which I think I'd be in the same camp. Like, it'd be really, really, really hard for me to believe that someone just came back from the dead, you know? And she's like, she's like they've taken him. Someone has stolen him, and I don't know where they put him. And so having said that, she turned around and she saw Jesus just standing there. But she didn't know it was Jesus. She sees some guy, he's standing there, she doesn't realize. And Jesus starts talking to her. He's like, hey, woman, she's Mary. Why are you crying? This doesn't make any sense. Who is it that you're looking for? And Jesus is kind of messing with her a little bit here. And she's, John tells us, supposing that he was a gardener. Now, I bet if Mary, if she read John's account maybe later on in her life, um, I wonder if she was like, oh, come on. You had to put that in there? That's so embarrassing. Like, John, I told you that in confidence that I thought he was a gardener. He says, she replied to him, she says, sir, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him back. All right, she's like, I'll I'll put him back where he goes. And Jesus said to her, he's like, Mary. (laughs) And turning around, she said to him, she says, Rabbi, she says, teacher, she gets it. She sees him. And so Mary, once she, she has this like little conversation with Jesus, she immediately runs to go back and tell the disciples, the other disciples, that she had talked with Jesus. I mean, she is pumped. We know that just right after this, that Jesus, there's two guys, we don't even know their names. They're walking down the road in between two towns and um, just out kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And Jesus just kind of shows up with them. And, he's, and they're like, oh, Jesus asking them, so what are you guys talking about? They're actually talking about uh, Jesus is dying and stuff, and they're like, oh, yeah, so this just happened and all this stuff, and we thought he was the Messiah, but he must not have been, and just telling them all this stuff, and then Jesus just, like, vanishes, and they're like, dude, that was Jesus. I think, I think they're right. That was Jesus, and then they go, and they tell the disciples, so the disciples, Jesus' right-hand guys, I mean, they're hearing all these reports that, like, no, Mary's saying, I talked to Jesus. I saw him, and then, and then the other, these other two random guys are like, no, we talked to Jesus, too. We saw him as well, and so they're just, they're hearing all this all these reports about what's going on. And so later that evening, the disciples, they're all together. This is the disciples, they were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. So they're all hiding, scared, all right? They don't want any trouble. And so Jesus came because the door was locked, so he didn't use the door. He just like stood among them. He just like appears, comes through the wall, whatever. And he just says, hey, peace be with you. He's like, what's up, guys? It's me. 
And having said this, he showed them his hands and his side where they, where they stabbed him with the spear, the, the soldiers. And so the disciples, they rejoiced when they saw Jesus. But, but not all the disciples were actually there. And a few verses later, John says that Thomas, one of the 12, he was actually not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples, of course, were telling him, they're like, hey, Thomas, guess what? We just saw the Lord. You shouldn't have gone out, all right? You shouldn't have left because Jesus, he showed up after you left, and it's awesome, and he was here, and we got to see, like, the scars in his hands and, and his side. And we, we, I mean, he, he is back, man. We saw him with our own eyes. And Thomas, he's like, I don't know what you guys are smoking, but if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails, basically, Thomas is more like a, it's even more than just, I got to see it to believe it type of thing, okay? Um, Thomas, uh, he's, he's more of a, I got to feel it. I got to touch it to believe it. I'm not going to believe it unless I see him and I touch the guy. He says, if I don't put my finger, uh, yeah, into the side. He says, a week later, his disciples were indoors again. So it's been a whole week, no Jesus sightings. I'm sure Thomas is like, I told you guys. Dude, you guys are just, you know, I don't know what happened, but, uh, but he ain't. It didn't happen. It says a week later, the disciples were indoors again. And Thomas was with them because one thing Thomas did do is he knew that if there was any disciple meeting, he wasn't about to miss that. Just in case, Jesus showed back again. And so even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he just stood among them and he said the same thing. He's like, what's up, guys? Peace be with you. He says, then he said to Thomas, he looks over at Thomas. He says, hey, Thomas. Thomas is like, awkward. He says, why don't you put your finger here in my hands? Look at my hands. And why don't you reach out? And with your hand and put it into my side. You want to see this? You want to, huh? You want to see, you know, this scar? He says, don't be faithless, Thomas, but believe. And Thomas responded to him. He says, my Lord, my God. By the way, that's the only response to truly believing. See, it wasn't the, it wasn't the miracles that convinced people that Jesus was God. It wasn't. It wasn't the teachings that convinced people that Jesus was God. You know what it was? It was the resurrection. That's what changed everything. That's what changed the game. Okay? That, that, that's what it, that, it changed everything for these guys. See, every once in a while, a guy would show up because, again, in the Old Testament, God promised the Jewish people that he would be sending a Savior, this, this so-called Messiah. And so every once in a while, back then, a guy would show up and say, hey, I'm the guy. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the Messiah. Everybody come follow me. And people would do that. People would leave their jobs. People would leave their families. They'd leave everything they knew to follow this guy that they were convinced was actually the Messiah. And you know how those movements ended? The dude died. And it was done. And that's when they knew that it was a lie. That's when they knew that they had been tricked. And so here, Jesus did die. But the difference between Jesus and all those other guys is Jesus showed back up. That's the difference. He showed back up, and he appeared to people, and he talked to people, and he ate with people. I mean, Paul, think about Paul. Paul was, like, the most famous Christian to have ever have lived. Paul was the guy that God used to write, like, most of the New Testament. Okay, that's Paul. Paul, just like Thomas, he didn't believe at first. In fact, Paul was like an enemy. He was trying to arrest all the Christians he could and put all the Christians, you know, have them killed. And, you know, it's just, Paul was a, he was not a good guy. And later, Paul writes uh, to a letter to a church in a huge city called Corinth. He says, I passed on to you as most important what I also received. Basically, he's saying, I've told you guys the story. 
I've told you guys this plan. I've told you guys what we, today, what we call the gospel, the good news that I received. That Christ, this is it, died for our sins. See, this is where the story intersects our life. He died for us. He died for you. And he died for me. You know why? Because we're sinners. You realize you're a sinner, right? We say this all the time here at Grace. We're all um, messed up, jacked up, horrible, terrible people. Welcome to Grace, you know. (laughs) Welcome to church. But that's the truth of it. We're all messed up. Definitely myself, all right, including myself. We are all messed up. We are all sinners. And you know what God is? God is not. God is the perfect judge. God is holy. He is perfectly right, which means he must punish sin. It is the right thing for him to do. Sin has to be paid for. That is true justice, which, by the way, is really, really, really bad news for us. And the only way that we can pay for it, a sinning against an eternal God or an eternal being, is an eternity in hell. Now, I've talked to a lot of people. I've never met anybody that's like, man, I can't wait till we go to hell. (laughs) I've talked to people saying, I think I'm going to hell. (laughs) It wasn't a happy thing. But I've never met anybody that's like, man, I can't wait till I get there. All right, most everybody they talk to, everybody's like, well, yeah, I'm going to, I'm a good person. Like, I'm going to, to heaven. It's like most people think that, okay, bad people go to hell, good people go to heaven. And if that's true, let me just think about this. Like, like the question that I have for you, if that's what you think, my question is, how good you got to be? Like, does your good stuff have to outweigh your bad stuff? Like, is that, is that good? So let me just throw out numbers. Like, is 51% good? Is that good? Like, is that good enough? I wish that was good enough in math class growing up, you know? That was an F. That's a fail. Like, what do you think God's grading scale is? Is 75% good good? Like, you'd think if that was the case and God had some special secret grading scale, you'd think that he would, like, at least send you a grade card once in a while just to kind of let you know how you're doing so you know if you got to do better or not. Like, that's what you would think. Like, like, let's be true. If that is true, let's be honest. If that is true and it is, you know, all about being good, if we want to be completely honest with ourselves, some of you, you don't have enough time left in the semester to make up for the previous work missed. You know what I'm talking about? If we're all honest with each other. You guys remember school days? Like being a kid back in school, like um, think of like freshman algebra. I don't know if that's in high school. Like, like I think of like college, my freshman year of college. Um, you know how it would be, like for me, math was, the, I, I, I'm terrible at math. I can't do math, and I'm okay with that. And so, you know, I would get like my midterm for my math class, you know, and I, for algebra, and I get my midterm in the middle of the semester, and you'd be looking at it, and you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> I got some problem, and that's when I do my best math is when I'm trying to figure out my grade. I'm like, okay, I got to figure this out. And so I'm like doing the math, and I'm like, okay, if I got one exam left, if I get 122% on this exam, I will get a C in this class, you know, like that type of thing. Um, I know maybe college students these days, maybe you don't have to worry about that. I think you just have to go to your professor and say, hey, my feelings are hurt, and I need to save space, and I don't know. They, they like work it out for you somehow. So maybe I, I don't know. That was mean. But um, the rest of us, we just took the F and had to retake the class. And we we're also expected to pay our bills, but that's a different thing, too. I don't know. Anyway, I shouldn't have said that. Pretend like I didn't say that. 
But um, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> but here's the deal. How good do you got to be? Like, like, is it about being a good person? What grade do you got to get? And let's, let's take this a little step further. How good actually are you? See, when we think we're good, that's really only because we're comparing ourselves to other messed up people who in our minds aren't as good. Right? We, look, we could all look at people in our lives and be like, that dude, that dude's messed up. All right? I'm a way better person than him. And uh, she, she's a pain to work with. And so I'm a, people like me better than her. Like that's how we think. But here's the deal. God never compares you to other people. He compares you to himself. And we all fail miserably. That's why he died. To save you. Because you're not good enough to save yourself. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying he died for, for your sins. He says he was buried for you. He was raised on the third day for you. And then he like showed up. And he started showing up to people. He appeared first to Peter. That's Cephas. Then he appeared to the, all 12. We just talked about that in John. John tells us about that. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. He's like, hey, one time he just appeared to 500 people. Like, like that's awesome. And he says, most of them, they're still alive. Go talk to them, although some of them have died. So you go ask them yourself. Then he appeared to James, his brother, then to all the apostles. And then, last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, Paul's like, he also appeared to me. He said, I'm telling you the truth, man. Jesus came back. That's what makes him different. That's actually the whole reason why John is writing this account. John says that at the end. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. He's like, I was there with Jesus. I was an eyewitness to this stuff. I was with Jesus for three years. He's like, man, there are so many things that I could have write, write about. I didn't write it all in here. It's not just he did these few things. He's like, no. But the ones that I wrote, I wrote so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So that brings me to my last question. Where yet? Do you believe? And when I ask, do you believe, I don't mean like, do you believe Jesus was a dude who lived 2,000 years ago and said some good things and did some good stuff and was like a super moral man, like teacher type guy. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not asking if you believe he existed, okay? I'm saying, do you believe that he was God? Do you believe that he left his throne room, all perfect, completely holy, completely righteous, righteous eternal, he left his throne room, came down and was born in the dirt, was born in a barn, lived a perfect life, allowed his creation then to put him to death. And on that cross, as he died, it wasn't even about the cross. It was on that cross, as he died, God poured out his wrath on himself. He's the only one who could take that because, because he's the only one who wasn't a sinner. And the Bible says all we have to do is we got to surrender. We got to give our life to him and understand that he paid for everything that he did, that whatever he did on that cross, somehow it counted for you. And maybe for the first time, again, I don't know where you're at, but maybe for the first time in your life, you're starting to see things a little more clearly. 
some of this stuff and some of the details, really the why to why he had to die, it's not as foggy maybe as it was when you walked in. And the details and the why and the how, maybe it makes a little bit more sense. And I'm not saying you understand everything. I don't think any of us do understand everything. I don't understand how, why he loves us so much to, to go through with all that. I just don't get it. We're always rebelling against him. Maybe you, it's just super basic. You're just like, you know what? For the first time in my life, like, I, I get it. Like, something happened 2,000 years ago. I don't have all my questions answered, but something happened 2,000 years ago that was a big deal that changed the world forever. 2,000 years later, here we are in Tiffin, Ohio, still talking about it. Something so big that it separated A.D. from B.C. that time is literally based on the life of this man. And it's not about dying on the cross either. Lots of people died on the cross. It's about the fact that he came back. That's what makes him different. Maybe for a long time you're kind of like the disciples. You got this idea, you know, this picture of what the story actually looks like. And maybe this morning you're opening it up and you're looking inside of it for the first time. You're seeing all these bits and pieces. And I'll, this is really what it is. But what I could tell you is that it all fits together. God doesn't leave us hanging. There's always instructions in the box. You know, which for us is this book right here. And I can tell you one thing, the more you read the instructions, the more you read this book, the more, you, the more the picture gets put together in your mind. The closer and closer you get, the more you understand, the more and more it makes sense. You don't have to do life alone. God's got you. He desperately wants the relationship with you. That's why he came. You were created to have a relationship with your creator. But what we so many times do is we're like, okay, I'm cool with Jesus. You just stay out right there. I'm not going to, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll call you when I need you. That's not a relationship. The God in the universe came and he died for you. And all you got to do is surrender. You got to give him your life. We don't do this really ever, but I want to do, do this this, this morning. If we would all bow our heads, close our eyes. I don't know where you're at, man. Um, if you're at the point this morning where you're like, I'm ready to make that decision. That's what it is, by the way. It's a decision. We're not all born Christians. But if you're at the point in your life where you're like, you know what? I'm ready to make that decision today. I could see this a little more clear. And I invite you just to pray something like this. The Bible says all you got to do is ask, and he is right there. He is waiting for you. Maybe you even feel that tug on your heart. It's not about a certain amount of words. It's just praying something like this. You don't even have to pray out loud. It's, he, he knows your every thought. But something like this. Dear God, I believe. I believe that 2,000 years ago, you came down, you lived a perfect life, and you died for someone like me. I don't understand why. I don't understand everything. I don't have all my questions answered necessarily, but I believe that you did that. And God, because of that, I want you in my life. I want you to be a part of my life. I'm giving my life to you. Starting today, here, Easter Sunday, 2023, I want that relationship that I was created to have. I want that relationship with you. And God, I thank you for saving someone like me. Amen. That's all it is. Super simple. All right, that's it. And by the way, if you did that this morning, man, we would love to know. 
Okay, all you got to do, try to make it as, as easy and simple as possible. If you just grab a card in front of you, just put your name on it, and then check the box, and you can just toss that in the offering plate as you go by. A bunch of people will, have st- will, will be throwing stuff in there, cards and stuff. If you just do that, we just like to know. We can pray for you. But I'd also encourage you to tell somebody, not just us, but tell somebody who invited you, tell somebody who brought you, who drug you here to church. You know, let them know. Don't keep that a secret. It's not meant to be a secret. Why don't we all stand up together and let's pray one last time and we'll um, sing one last song. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this church. Lord, we thank you most of all for coming down and you died for us. You died for us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. You didn't owe it to us in any way. You did it voluntarily. And God, we thank you so much for loving us and caring about us so enough to, to do that so much. God, we ask that if there's anybody in this room who hasn't made that decision to follow you yet, that they just remember, hey, they're not guaranteed this afternoon. I mean, you don't owe them any certain amount of life. God, we ask that they would make that decision. They would give their life over to you. They, they would give up that control. And Lord, we thank you for loving us. You proved it when you died for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.